Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Bowler, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Hello and welcome to this episode of 30 Minute Thrive. We're glad you're here and I am actually here at MRA's Wisconsin Employment Law Update where attendees are gaining insight on how to remain resilient after this post-pandemic uncertainty and economic change. We have over 600 people attending virtually and in person today so it's a big event and I will be talking with seven of the speakers from today who are all practicing attorneys in the area. So come along. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Christine Lou McLaughlin. Christine is a shareholder at Godfrey and Khan's Labor and Employment Practice Group, and she was actually the former practice group chair. Christine provides counsel on a wide variety of employment and labor issues, ranging from interpretation and application of federal and state employment laws to specialized employee transition matters and complex business transactions. So, Christine, you just reviewed 2022 and kind of talked about 2023, the year ahead for employers. So can you kind of summarize some of your key points that you talked about? Sure. Um, I talked a long time, so this is going to be a big summary. Um, I always like to start on the federal level. So if anybody saw the um, State of the Union address, it was very heavy emphasis on employment and President Biden's push to really make changes both on an executive level um, at a regulatory level. So what does that mean for employers for 2023? Forecasting it, you're looking at agencies passing a lot of guidance, a lot of rules, um, and doing a lot of enforcement. And that's anything from the EEOC to the Department of Labor on union issues um, to wage and hour enforcement. Um, you're also going to see, um, and what we've seen so far in January, was the FTC, so Federal Trade Commission. Why am I talking about it? Because they issued a proposed rule related to non-competes, uh, which really is a broad-reaching proposal that covers all restricted covenant agreements and is highly restrictive and preempts, as it's written right now, any state law that's inconsistent. So that's a big game-changer. Um, don't expect it to pass as it is. There's going to be a lot more dialogue. In fact, this afternoon, they're actually having an open forum to discuss it. So that's a big topic. We're also looking at some of those hot issues as it relates to enforcement at the agency level. So think about AI, artificial intelligence, and hiring and recruiting. What does that mean in terms of enforcement? We know in the draft enforcement report right now for the next five years, there's going to be a heavy emphasis by the EEOC on that issue. Um, and by the way, you know, saying that the algorithm is at fault is no defense for employers. And that's very clear um, in the enforcement plan as it reads right now. We're also looking at pay transparency issues um, as it relates to those state laws. So there's been a lot of state movement, family medical leave, paid leave, expense reimbursement, which we've never seen on the books come to fruition. But in addition to that is paid transparency. How do you job post? Be transparent. Should you have a policy in place? What should that look like? Um, and how do you open up a conversation or respond to a conversation from an applicant that wants to talk about pay? Something that historically has been very taboo and uncomfortable for employers. 
The final, uh, I think, emphasis is going to be on mental health. Um, and with all of the crises that we see out there um, in the U.S. right now, both in employers, places of business, um, as well as our schools, it is at the forefront of everybody. And I think that one of the best things employers can target for 2023 is educating those individuals that work with employees, reminding them they need to take care of themselves, but also giving them the power and knowledge of power to identify risks in the workplace as it relates to mental health. That's some great advice, Christine. Thank you. And you had a lot of important and essential updates that you gave us today. So thank you for summarizing those. But just as we wrap up here, do you have any other advice or insight you can give and kind of wrap up to employers today? Um, I think that the biggest takeaway um, that I would look at for this coming year is to realize that those that deal with humans every day are tired and they need support. So whatever you can do to invest in your people, remember those that are at the highest level is making those really tough decisions, need your support, whatever that may look like for you. Well, thank you, Christine, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Joel Azure. He's the president at Bulo Vetter, and Joel's a top-rated attorney here in the Waukesha, Wisconsin area, providing legal representation in the Wisconsin area for a variety of different issues. So thanks for joining us today, Joel. Um, I want to ask you about your talk that you just had on risky labor practices. So with President Biden's endorsement, he says that I intend to be the most pro-union president leading the most pro-union administration in American history. So union efforts are definitely increasing. Can you give any advice for organizations on how to really prepare for this? I think there's a couple things that organizations need to do. First and foremost, you need to remember that the National Labor Relations Act doesn't just pertain to union organizing. It also has to do with rules and policies that a company may have that could be seen by the board as having a chilling effect on employees' ability to organize. So the first thing to do is, even if you don't suspect that there could be any union organizing, is look at your policies. Look at your social media policies. Look at your communication policies. All of those policies that could touch on how employees talk to one another and check those. Second of all, employees, employers, excuse me, need to be very, very diligent in watching their workforce. They need to look for changes. Anything that is a dramatic change from what the employees were doing before is an indication that they might be looking to unionize. The other piece that an employer needs to recognize is forming a union doesn't mean that the employees dislike the employer. I hear that a lot. What did we do wrong that got them to want to use or to form a union? That's not the right way to look at it. But it is good to do a self-reflection and say, are there things that we can do to better communicate with our employees? Because obviously they feel they're not getting that direct communication. They want to bring in a third party to be the intermediary, and that's never a good idea. So look at what you're doing to try and facilitate clear communications. So you also talked about unfair labor practices, and I know you highlighted some great examples. Can you talk about the one with the vending machines? It was a recent case that you just worked on. Um, so can you talk about some of the key points there? So the key to remember is, first of all, an unfair labor practice can be filed by anyone, not just somebody who has a union. 
and it has to do with a change in terms and conditions of employment and whether you did something that you were not permitted to do. Now, the example that I use is an extreme example, and I can't see this happening again, but it's to illustrate what, how far down the NLRB will look at for terms and conditions of employment. There was a production facility that had two break rooms. Both of them had vending machines. One was a newer break room, one was an older break room. And what the company did was they swapped the vending machines. That's all they did. The newer vending machine was swapped into the newer break room. And they got an unfair labor practice charge. And they couldn't figure out why, what they had done wrong. They looked at the vending machines, everything looked the same. One was a little bit older, but what they came down to is one of the vending machines had plain M&Ms and the other one had M&Ms with peanuts. And that in and of itself was enough for, for these employees to say it was a change in terms and conditions of employment. Now, of course, we settled it. We resolved the matter very clearly. But it is an example of how far down you can go in making that determination. Oh, absolutely. And just as we wrap up here, do you have any other lasting advice or tips for employers out there on just the changing economy right now? You have to make sure that you are connecting with your employees. The number one reason that employees want to form a union is because they feel they are not being heard. That does not mean you have to give in to everything that an employee wants, but you do need to make sure that you are communicating to them, that you are available to talk to them, you will listen to them, and you will take their thoughts and ideas under consideration. Well, that's some good advice. Good to end with. So thank you, Joel, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Scott LeBlanc, a labor and employment law attorney at Hush Blackwell, who helps clients really navigate the complexities of employment, privacy, and healthcare regulation. So, Scott, you just talked about reductions and workforce layoffs. Could you give us some highlights or just key tips um, for our listeners today? Yeah, well, one of the things I talked about for the end of my presentation is um, alternatives to layoffs, right? I think... um, Layoffs should always be the last resort. So if you're if you need to reduce your costs, um, what can you do short of layoffs that are okay? So we talked about uh, wage reductions, right? Which you're just you know temporarily or permanently reducing salaries or um, employee hourly compensation. You can do things like furloughs, which are t- um, required leaves of absences. So someone's going to take a required unpaid leave of absence for a certain period of time. That's going to save you some money. So I was talking about, you know, if you can as an organization based on what you need to do, there are other ways other than just laying off employees to do that. And there are there are things that you need to think about from a legal standpoint, um, but maybe thinking about those first before you dip all the way into to having to do layoffs. I know it's something that's on top of employers' minds right now, especially at the start of the year. So can you just end us with any other good advice you have or any tips for employers out there who may be struggling with ideas? Yeah, I think planning and documentation is always important. I mean, that's something I always hammer home, whether we're talking about layoffs or anything else from an employment law standpoint, is just documenting your process. So if you're thinking about doing layoffs and, you know, you you really it's really helpful for a lot of different reasons, whether it's putting together a severance agreement for employees or making sure that you're not selecting employees based on discriminatory reasons. Um, how how did you come to that process? Who made the decisions? How did you make the decision of how many employees that you need to, to get rid of? What are the categories that you're using? Who is coming up with the data there? Uh, and just really documenting a process that's really going to help you in the end. It's not just going to make things easier um, because you're going to be more organized, but it's also going to help insulate you from legal liability. 
Well, thank you for joining us today and thank you for the advice. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm here with Craig Papka today and Audrey Merkel from Von Briesen and Roper. Craig is a shareholder in the Labor and Employment Law section and co counsels clients about a wide variety of matters with a view to preventing costly litigation. Audrey is a member of the Labor and Employment section and focuses her practice on representing businesses, government, and schools with employment and COVID-related issues. So Craig, you discussed remote work and that it's really here to stay. However, HR professionals have to navigate the cultural and legal issues associated with employees working remotely. So can you highlight some of the key points you were talking about in your presentation today on that? Um, yes, yeah, certainly. Thank you. Um, I guess it, the most important thing is really to stay consistent. Um, it's really critical that HR professionals have set guidelines and they stick to them really in all aspects, especially with regard to remote workers, uh, to avoid putting yourself in a potential uh, discriminate, discriminatory type situation. And then in terms of some best practices, uh, we recommend uh, defining eligibility. So exactly which employees can be working from home and also consistently abiding by any same criteria that the company has in respect to working from home. Also require written requests for work from home to be submitted to both management HR uh, and also train managers on handling work from home requests. Perfect. Thank you guys for joining us today and thank you for your great presentation and the advice. So look forward to talking to you. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Scott Regal from Meisner Tierney. He represents clients in a variety of different civil litigation matters in Wisconsin, California, and other jurisdictions around the country. So, Scott, I know you just talked about the digital world today and different data breaches and stuff like that. And we have access nowadays more than any time in history um, on data. So could you just su summarize um, how a business can really reduce its vulnerability to protect its data nowadays? Well, thank you, Sophie, and thank you to MRA for having me. Uh, this is a great event, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Um, as far as what a company can do to protect itself, uh, I, I look at that in two different ways. Um, this kind of comes from my litigation background. Um, how do we protect ourselves proactively and reactively? And all that's about... Uh, First of all, limiting the opportunity for somebody to attack you in the first place. But if they do, to uh, to limit what my, what we think of in the legal world as exposure. So uh, what liability you might face. So on the proactivity point, uh, typically we're going to advise our clients, you need to have policies and procedures. You need to stay up to date with software updates and uh, security mechanisms. Uh, you need to, and then also you need to have plans in place for if uh, the unthinkable does happen, when it happens, excuse me, if it happens, we're, all, we're always hoping, of course, that it doesn't. But if it does happen to you, the biggest thing to do is act quickly. And you want to act decisively. So you want to make sure that, A, you're protecting uh, the systems while an attack is going on or shortly thereafter. B, you're getting your arms around what happened. Investigation is a key. Uh, C, that you then take the proper remedial actions to get involved. And, and this is a big one. D, you've got to be transparent throughout the process. So many companies that get into big trouble in these situations get into trouble because, uh, for lack of a better term, I, it's either shame or greed. They're either ashamed that this happened to them or uh, they don't want to lose sales. They don't want to lose customers. Uh, 
eventually will get out and there are, there are both common law and statutory liabilities that can happen um, that can accrue to a company if they don't come clean on these types of things so we always counsel it's best to just be forthright and upfront with these types of things now of course within all the things we're talking about um, I just gave an hour-long speech on it so I can't cover it all here but uh, and there's a lot of nuance, but that's the the cliff's notes. Yep. And you you did give a lot of good information in the past hour, like you said. But is there any lasting advice that you want to give our listeners today, or any other security advice you want to give them before we wrap up? Uh, change your passwords early and often. That's that's the best piece of advice I can give in a short amount of time. And I, I know we don't have long, but I just want to thank you guys again for for having us. And uh, and this has been a great event. Thank you, Scott. I want to thank each of the seven speakers that I got a chance to chat with today and sharing their knowledge and expertise on the employment law. We have linked the resources from this event and each of the speakers' biographies in the show notes, so make sure to reference those if needed. And I encourage you to join MRA if you aren't a member already. We also have resources in the show notes for that as well. Otherwise, thank you for coming along with me today, and we will see you next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.